and welcome to a new series of the Maternal Journal podcast, a deep dive into the power of journaling and creativity to support mental health and well-being through pregnancy, birth and parenting. I'm writer, artist and midwife Laura Goffrey-Isaacs. This new series focuses on writers and we have some amazing guests who are sharing their work and their thoughts with us over 10 episodes. I'm really excited to meet my guest today, Leah Hazard. Leah is a practicing NHS midwife, author of the best-selling memoir, Hard Pushed, A Midwife Story, host of podcast What the Midwife Said, and mother of two girls. She is a firm believer that midwives lay the foundation for lifelong health and is committed to providing evidence-based information in a way that's accessible, relatable, and relevant to our times. Her new book, Womb, The Inside Story of Where We All Began, was published by Virago in March 2023. Hi, Leah. Hello. Lovely to join you. Your new book, Womb, blew me away. It's everything I'm passionate about, midwifery, medical inquiry, feminism, and personal history as you weave in your own reproductive journey alongside the wider research and debates about women's reproductive health. You open the book at a surgeon's museum where displays of wombs are relegated to a side story. This powerfully illustrates how women's reproductive lives are still very much underrepresented in our cultural narrative. So thank you for making such an important contribution. That said, there are increasing numbers of books in a category loosely called medical memoir. Those that stand out, for example, Call the Midwife by Jennifer Worth, recent accounts by midwives in their book With Two Souls, and other popular medical accounts such as This Is Going to Hurt by Adam Kay one I'm not personally that keen on in terms of how it portrays birthing people. How have you found a way to navigate this line between your knowledge and position as a midwife with your own birth stories? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for that lovely introduction. That was really kind. And I'm, I'm really glad that my work has resonated with you because praise from another midwife always means something extra special to me. In terms of navigating that line of medical memoir and my professional responsibilities and role, it's been done with difficulty. (laughs) It's not always been easy and I'm sure I've made mistakes. I think when I was thinking about writing Hard Pushed, which really is a memoir, I was really compelled to write it not so much to share my own story, but because I wanted to celebrate the work of my colleagues. And as I'm sure you'll agree, what midwives do nowadays in the NHS as it exists today is incredibly complex. It's a very skilled role with a a depth and breadth that a lot of people really don't appreciate. And we're doing this job in incredibly difficult circumstances. So I had a really strong incentive for writing this book and raising awareness of what midwifery is. But the thing that really stopped me initially from making any inquiries to publishers and so on was because I thought there's no possible way that I can do this and keep my job like I will absolutely get sacked. Not because I was wanting to whistleblow or talk about my own, you know, personal workplace or trust. In fact, that's the last thing that I want to do. Believe me, I could have done, but I didn't. But I just I I couldn't see how I could write even in the abstract or even, you know, heavily anonymized about the workplace and not come under fire in, in some way. And what happened in the end is that I you know, obviously I did write the book and it was published by a division of Penguin Random House in 2019. 
And, you know, with any big commercial title like that, in addition to me making my own efforts to anonymize the content and make it as professionally safe as possible, we had lawyers from Penguin Random House who went through the text with a fine tooth comb many, 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 many times. And even when I thought, you know, we've doubly, triply, quadruply, you know, anonymized and changed something, you know, we would take an extra measure to to do it again, just to be sure that it was super, super safe and that I wasn't compromising anybody's privacy or my integrity as a practitioner who is bound by the NMC code of conduct. So I think that initially was my concern. And then of course, you know, we've had four years since then when for better, for worse, become a pretty outspoken advocate for midwives and for reproductive health in the media. And I think it's just a constant process of renegotiation of, you know, what can I say? How can I do it in a smart way that I am making a point that needs to be made, but also protecting myself as a practitioner and honouring my colleagues, midwives as a whole, um, and respecting women and the people that use our services. So the long answer to your short question is, yeah, it's not been easy. <laughs> and it's it's a constant process of revision and reconsideration every day, really. That line as well between wanting to maybe portray these difficult truths that we experience as practitioners and yet also tell stories that can be productive, entertaining and engaging for people who are actually going to use the services. I mean, I think that's a really difficult line as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you don't want to tell a story or make a point in a way that's so bland and abstract and had all the life sucked out of it. Because as you say, that's not going to be engaging. And that's kind of self-defeating in a way, you know, you make your point or you tell the story in such a beige way that, you know, like nobody really cares. So I guess that's where you have to use your craft as a writer, maybe um, to, to evoke feelings and to be persuasive without being too granularly specific about a particular workplace or an event that's happened. And I I like to think it is possible. And I think as my career has kind of evolved and morphed a bit over the last few years, what has made that easier is I'm, I'm now really, you know, I hardly write at all about my very personal experience at work. I try and write more broadly about um, maternity services in general and issues around reproductive justice and where it's appropriate I absolutely will weave in some personal anecdote but I, I don't really get into you know my, my day-to-day working life I feel like I've kind of been there and done that. The history of obstetrics as you outline in womb is riddled with misogyny racism, ableism and homophobia, we're often subject to derogatory terms like irritable wombs, which you discuss a lot in in your latest book, placental insufficiency, incompetent cervix, failed induction. And my personal favourite anecdote from when an obstetrician told a woman I was looking after that she had a cracked womb, which I think I've shared with you before. In the book, you talk about the medical profession's quest for a perfect labour and describe an induction of labour as follows. I just want to read this quote from the book we are about to make something happen and in the years to come I will make that same thing happen over and over again for hundreds and hundreds of women I coax sluggish wombs until they contract strong fast and hard I will make them labor I will still wonder in the years to come if this is magic or madness the question echoes with each snap of the glass in my hand 
this tension between medical protocols and guidelines and the consequences on individual women hangs heavy for most midwives. What are your current thoughts on how we manage, inverted commas, labour and birth? (laughs) Uh, That's interesting because I've actually been asking other people that question in a slightly different form all week as I'm doing interviews for my next book. Um, How do I feel about we manage how we manage birth? Uh, I don't feel great about it. I kind of at once I know how we got here. And also I I scratch my head and think, how did we get here? You know, you you sort of can look at the steps from A to B to C to all the way to Z over the last, say, 80 years in obstetrics. And you can you can rationally think, oh, yes, this is why we intervene so much. This is how things got to where they are. But as an emotional, you know, feeling, seeing human you look at it and you go, wow, what a mess. How did this actually happen? I'm definitely not, as I try and make very clear in in Womb, my book, I'm definitely not anti-intervention across the board. There's no doubt that obstetrics has achieved some amazing things, some truly life-saving things. And induction can be one of them and cesarean section can be one of them for sure. But it's the blanket sort of wholesale adoption of these things by caregivers, but also by the public. You know, the public now has very different expectations about what's going to happen to them or what should happen to them when they go through the system. And it, it feels like things have just snowballed uncontrollably over the last, you know, decade or couple of decades to the point where we've normalized things that are, you know, that were meant to be used as exceptional very targeted specific interventions you know like for example where i work and i think in many nhs maternity units up and down the country the cesarean section rate now is over 40% and there's been a lot of discourse in the media recently about how maybe that's not a bad thing maybe women really want cesarean sections and if they want them they should have them and we, you know you know <laughs> the whole debate around you can't even say normal birth anymore and what's quote unquote, good and what's bad. Um, And I I totally get all that. There's a lot of light and shade and a lot of nuance in these conversations, or there should be at least. But it feels like we've just normalized things to a point where we, we don't even know what's real or smart or good anymore. Um, And it confuses me. It makes me sad as a practitioner, um, because I don't know kind of where I should go with that? And, you know, am I actually hurting people? Am I helping people? And it makes me pretty worried about the future of the birth space in the modern industrialized world, if I can be as broad as that. I do think some good changes are happening in the sense that we're much more aware now of that history that you referred to of misogyny, racism, ableism, homophobia. And I think that there are a lot of particularly grassroots organizations and individuals who are pushing against that history in a really meaningful way. So that is good. But I look at the general kind of obstetric landscape and I, yeah, I kind of put my head in my hands at that point and go off and write another book about it. Please do. They're <laughs> yeah. amazing. Picking up on that um, in your essay, What Your Mother Didn't Tell You, in uh, another book you contribute to, to the best, most awful job, 20 writers taught honestly about motherhood. You detail the many wounds of childbirth from the C-section scar to tears and cuts from a vaginal birth and discuss how there's a silence and 
sometimes even a lack of knowledge about our kind of collective experiences as, and about our own anatomy. I love the end line where you say, tell the story and heal, which could be a mantra really for maternal journal, where we're all trying to set up the conditions in which people can tell their stories in a safe space. How have you found telling your own story? Because I feel like you did weave it in quite a lot in womb, particularly around endometriosis. Has it helped to heal you telling some of your stories? Yeah, I would say to a point. I mean, I'm still on a journey of living inside this body. It's never ending. Um, You know, in womb, I write about my lifetime of heavy, painful periods and trying to get answers around that. I write about, you know, what in hindsight was quite a funny visit to the gynecology clinic, but actually fairly humiliating and painful um, at the same time. And, you know, I finally got another appointment for that clinic just a couple of weeks ago after a very, very long waiting list. And I had another really confusing and kind of infuriating encounter. And um, I'm lucky that I have the outlet of writing because when I get really angry about my experience, which happens a lot, I can kind of word vomit it out in a way that helps me make sense of it. And the the one thing that is really gratifying, you know, it's, it's, I guess, maybe not healing because I still have to deal with this stuff. Um, but gratifying is that I now get a lot of feedback from readers who interact with my work and themselves find meaning from it. So I've had really moving emails and messages over the last few months from readers of Womb saying, oh, I didn't realize until I read your book that this pain I've been having could be this thing. Or um, an incredibly moving email last week from a woman whose daughter had a mid-trimester loss and was told that she had incompetent cervix and was pressured into different interventions or, or not. And this woman really saw this experience reflected in my book. And I had somebody who said, you know, and she's a middle-aged woman like me. She said, I read your book and I finally made an appointment to go and get seen about something. And guess what? I have adenomyosis and now I have a name for it. So I guess it's not healing for me. I would love it if it were because I'm still really angry about living in this body, but it's gratifying definitely that At least I can share my experience with other readers who can then reflect it back to me and say, yeah, this this is meaningful for me or this has prompted me to look after myself. And that's the best thing. Your writing and posts and journalism, you know, is this sort of public form that, as you say, really communicates and touches other people in really important ways. But I wanted to ask you, do you yourself or have you in the past ever kept like a diary or a journal with more maybe personal or private kind of reflections or writings? I have in a very limited way from time to time. So I did keep a diary when I was maybe 11, 12, 13. And I poured myself out into it and I found it recently on a trip home and I was so embarrassed by what I wrote. I think I dropped it into the nearest bin when I left the house. I was just like, no one can ever read this. But as an adult, and especially as a mother living in a house with my husband and, and two girls or young women now, I think I would just be far too worried that whatever I wrote would be found and read. You know, I can't, can't blame them if they do. So I don't keep a journal in that since now. I do sometimes scribble little things like in the notes app on my phone or I did for a short period last year when I was feeling pretty low do a sort of mini kind of daily journal on my computer but 
no, I, I don't really I don't really do it on a regular basis, although I recommend it all the time to other people. So a bit of a hypocrite there. But no, I think I think because I am so often engaged in writing about this stuff anyway, that's kind of how I journal. I mean, that's that's kind of personal enough for me. But everybody, I guess, has their own a way of negotiating that. And I often find some of your posts on social media are also, I mean, I know they're they're still, you know, edited and selective, but they feel sometimes very personal as well. And you share things, you know, that that really connects away from perhaps, you know, your writing, which is always incredibly well sort of researched and, um, you know, kind of evidenced. So I think one can almost see that as a form of journaling. Yeah, it is definitely a little bit. Sometimes, you know, something will really strike me and and I'll just think, you know, I think I tweeted something this morning about or last night about along the lines of if if you want your faith in humanity restored, just have a look at an online menopause support forum because the women there are helping each other cling to life. And it just I was on one of these forums looking for some advice and the fellowship and the love and the support in a world that sees these women as invisible or not worthy of care was so moving that I thought, oh, I just, I had an impulse to just put that out there somehow. There's a lot else that I probably would like to put out there publicly that is a bit more raw and personal, but I am very aware, as I alluded to before, that I am bound by the NMC code of conduct. There is a lot I would like to say and language I'd like to use that I know I can't or shouldn't. I know that my social media is monitored carefully, um, whether I would like it to be or not. I've learned that through experience. So yeah, I do have to self-censor to a certain extent. I think that's one of the really important qualities of Maternal Journal is that we create these kind of safe spaces where people can be really honest and talk about taboo subjects you know, in confidence, because that's sort of one of the rules, if you like, of, of, of being part of the group. And that is enormously beneficial, you know, people in that situation are talking about the taboos of motherhood and parenting and, you know, not being able to express often ambivalence or negativity or anger about their situation, because that's culturally sanctioned uh, equally in a in a menopause cafe, I can imagine totally the same kind of ability to unpack and, and express things that aren't listened to or valued at all in other contexts. What are your thoughts generally on sort of writing or creative activity and how it can support mental health and well-being? And has this affected you in some way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... Writing can just be transformative for mental health and well-being for so many different reasons. And it's not just about the fact that you're putting something on a page or a phone or a screen. You know, yes, it's meaningful to be able to pour out your thoughts in a kind of unfiltered, intimate way, of course, especially if you have no other avenue for doing that in your life. That's, that alone is meaningful. But also just the fact that you're making time to do it, even if it's only a minute on your notes app on your phone, the fact that you are taking that time, whether it's a minute or an hour to say, yeah, I'm my thoughts are valuable enough to take this moment and write this down. Maybe it's, you know, even an amount of time, like an hour or an afternoon where you have to get your kids looked after, or, you know, maybe you have to say to your partner, I'm not available now. I'm writing for the next three hours. That's very meaningful. Even if you just stare at the page and don't put anything on it. 
And also the thing that I actually have found particularly beneficial in terms of writing and my mental health is that it gets me into that flow state, you know, and by by flow, for anyone who's listening, I just mean that state where you are fully immersed in the present moment, in the task at hand, and you are not really conscious of your thought process or your surroundings or what happened earlier in the day or what's going to happen later. And what, I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes when I'm writing a book, it's like incredibly painful. It's not effortless by any means. And it's like pulling teeth. But sometimes uh, when it just hits right and I'm sort of like in it and I know what I'm going to say and the words are just coming or I'm, you know, recounting something that I'm remembering, I am so completely immersed in that moment. And it's better than any drug or drink or other diversion. I'm a huge overthinker, <laughs> which you probably can guess from, I mean, any writer, I guess, probably is. Like, I'm a massive overthinker and I overanalyze everything. And I, I look ahead and sort of try and anticipate and game things out in my head. And like, you know, it's it's difficult for me to be in the present moment. It's really hard. And so writing gives me that. In addition to the other things that I mentioned, it gives me on a good day, not always, but on a good day, it gives me that flow state, which is so valuable for me. And then when I finally finish that writing and I kind of come up for air or I go and get a coffee, I think, oh, wow, you know, that that hour just passed. Where did that go? That felt so good. And sometimes I find that flow state in midwifery, for example, on a good day um, when great things are happening. I'm, I'm in that moment and that magic quality is there. I mean, again, not always, but sometimes. <laughs> but the that state of flow, I think, is so important, especially for new mothers and new parents, because we are so involved the rest of the time in filling other people's needs and having other people on or near our bodies and anticipating what other people will need or want from us. You know, if you're a really new mother or new parent, you're thinking about your feeding schedule and how long do I have until they get hungry and cry again? And does the nappy need changed? And can I put a washing on? And all these kind of repetitive, mundane, soul-destroying things. And to have something that just can take you into that other flow place, even for a minute or 20 minutes or whatever, I think is incredibly valuable at that stage of your life. I think that's so beautiful the way you describe that. And actually, we don't discuss that very much, the actual kind of inherent qualities really of creativity. And as you say, you know, being creative can be writing, it can be making a painting or any kind of creative activity. But also sometimes you can find that kind of creativity in other types of activities, like you're saying, in, in, and people do talk about midwifery having an art to it. And I would say everything has an art to it if you approach it in a certain way. So Thank you for talking about that, because I think that's one of the qualities that we're trying to enhance with Maternal Journal, that people often are not given access to that opportunity anymore when they're out of formal education or any kind of sanction or any permission to be creative, other than how they find it in their lives, which of course people do, but often they're cut off from it. They're told they're not creative as a person. Um, and even sometimes just doing, you know, this, this, um, at the moment, explosion of interest in colouring books and things like that. It doesn't always have to be a very complex activity. It can sometimes be just that it's very absorbing and it takes you away, as you say, from that incessant kind of mind going round and round. And as, as you also say, as a mother, often as a parent, you have all this mental load and this care load that you're kind of carrying around for yourself and everybody else around you. Thank you. That was so interesting. 
So every writer in the series has created a new mini guide for the maternal journal community for individuals to try themselves and for workshop leaders to use in their groups. Would you please talk us through your mini journaling guide, A Letter to Your Birthing Body? It's really profound. Yeah, of course. Um, so it was, it was great to get the opportunity to kind of create this prompt. And I think sometimes when we write to ourselves or we sort of address ourselves, it yeah, it flips the lens a little bit and helps us see different things about ourselves or see them in a light that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise seen. So the the prompt is just, I can't remember exactly what I wrote, but it's something to the effect of, you know, write a letter to your birthing body. Is there something you would like to know about that body or, you know, why it performed in a certain way or didn't, how it felt, what comfort does it need or what's it trying to tell you? Yeah, just have a little conversation in sort of letter form with with that body that birthed your child on that day and maybe end with a particular question or a message that you'd like to really get through. The text, I'm just going to read it for our listeners. Write a letter to your birthing body. What would you like to say to it? Would you like to congratulate your body or comfort it? Or are you angry or sad about it? How strange or familiar does that body seem to you now? Close your letter with a question, something you'd really like to know about your body, what your body did or felt during birth. You can add a picture if it feels right. I think that's so great. Like you say, just flipping somehow something with a view that you're looking at yourself in the third person can just help you kind of see what's happened to yourself perhaps or crystallize those questions that you had in a different way. So it's a really great device. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to Leah for joining me on the podcast today. Check out our website and social media to try Leah's new journaling guide. You can also join a free journaling workshop online with a new guide next week. Visit the Maternal Journal Eventbrite page to book your slot. To find out more about the Maternal Journal community and how you can get involved, visit maternaljournal.org. We are very grateful to Arts Council England, Sheffield University and Art House Wakefield for supporting this podcast series. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.